You're listening to the A Scully Cast, brought to you by www.ascully.com. And here are your hosts, A Scully and Sid Talk. Okay, Sid Talk, why do monkeys go crazy? I don't know. Because they're bananas. <laughs> I just had to get that joke out because I think it matches this week's movie. It's about mm-hmm. insanity and monkeys. Is it? Yes. I think we were supposed to see the different movies. Or is it? Plus, the movie was really good. That joke. No, that joke was written by a. Uh, I got that joke off the internet. It was by a three year old. I think that answers your, my, <laughs> my comment. I just looked up monkey jokes. And that was my favourite out of the bunch. Most of them were to do with testicles. Wouldn't the joke actually be, why are monkeys so crazy? Because they eat bananas? Well, a three-year-old wrote this joke. Right. So they got it wrong. And the most of Three-year-old who can type, which is really good. Well, no, I'm sure the mother (laughs) typed it for them. Then the mother would have corrected it. Most of the other monkey jokes were involving testicles and assholes. Nice. So I didn't... They weren't written by three-year-olds. Right. They were written by older people who act like Have no sense of humour. Like Artie from the Howard Stern Show. Talking <laughs> oh, let's not give him any time. Okay, so it's uh, Sunday, September the 6th, 2009. Hey, we're on to... Did I change my calendar? Yes, I did. Yep, got September. a new uh, pinup girl. And it's uh, after the show number what 8... What is she doing? I can't actually tell. After the show number 86. <laughs> and uh, the movie we're going to be reviewing this week is an older movie called 12 Monkeys that most of you probably have already seen but funnily enough I'd never seen it and you had seen it a few times no I've seen it once oh only once mm-hmm. no I'd never seen it it's just one of the movies I never got round to seeing I just didn't see it I don't know why I didn't see it you I've said s- it didn't appeal to you plus I've seen parts of it on TV and I always thought and I always tune in like in the middle of it and think what the hell's going on let's here? say why you said actually earlier you didn't you didn't appeal to you because you had seen Brazil by Terry Gilliam I didn't particularly didn't like, like it. Brazil it was a bit too abstract for me and then I think this came straight after and I just had a bad taste so but these days you really like abstractness even though I really liked Terry Gilliam's films before that just something something didn't anyway this is 12 Monkeys and this is the Blu-ray release um it was out on HD DVD before mm-hmm. it went. So, uh, yeah, it's long awaited Blu ray release. Um, this movie's from 1995, believe it or not. Um, and it's already released on Blu ray. You can go and get it now. It was released at the tail end of July. I just want to say something about the Blu ray release of 12 Monkeys being a movie that's older. I thought it looked and sounded really good, like better than some of the newer movies we've even seen recently, especially the sound mix. Hmm. Which was, I felt like sometimes stunning. it was unbalanced. No, I thought it was. Stu- there were times when it was actually distorted and not intentionally, where the loudness came so loud and the quiet was pretty quiet. Now that's not us, and that just seemed like okay. There were like two. Or three I never instances. noticed any of that, and it's DTS um, like HD audio and generally films from this long ago. I mean, it's not a long time ago, but it's long enough. Didn't have a good surround soundtrack, but this one it was us just always behind you, everything, just little subtle sounds, music, everything. I felt the opposite. I felt like it was all coming straight at me from the front. Well, Isn't that you funny? mustn't have been paying attention because I was like, "Wow, this is." And the, the picture's stunning, and yeah, it's got this, it's got this weird um, aspect ratio shift that happens at the beginning of the movie. I'm not sure what that's all about, but the introduction to the movie is um, 
I don't know what aspect ratio it is, but it's got black bars on all four sides of the picture. And then just after the credit sequence, it fills to expand the frame. So I don't that know. That probably explains it. Probably film that beginning part in uh, in a different way. Where or they applied the credits opening. No, it's not credits. I forget what it's called. Opening. Pre-roll or something. Something, yeah. yeah. That was probably made. Couldn't restretch it or something. But yeah, it looked really good. Because... Um, this and when we'll talk about the extras later, but this is the truly analog movie. Yep. It you know it was pieces edited of, with strips of, of film. Film. Yeah. Yep. And it really looked like a film. You know, the grain was in it. Everything it looked. looked that great. goes to the topic you mentioned the other day. We can talk about it later. But the idea that some things are becoming obsolete. That now uh, this isn't a new discovery because imagine people who used to build horse and carriages, horse carriages. And when the automobile was invented, and all of a sudden something that had been used for thousands of years, the idea goes away except for the few people who still use them. So we're talking about that. Whereas this, we're looking at a guy editing film and we're like, wow, look, he's On editing an avid film. Machine. <laughs> yeah. But now it's, it's like, hard drives, you know? Yeah. I mean, yes, they still film things on film, but then that film is scanned into an avid right. machine and the editor doesn't sit there with strips of film. You know, probably well, some student filmmakers do, but yeah, but yeah, not the uh, right, not, not your everyday director nowadays, and that is interesting to see that process. And this was only thirteen years ago. Yeah, so years. so this movie's held up incredibly. Well. I mean, I'm sure it's been restored in some way because it looks flawless to me. I mean, there wasn't like yeah, spotty really prints all over it. It just looked good, um, and I was expecting it to look terrible because I was thinking to myself, this is a movie from ages ago. I bet it didn't really. Stand the test of time, but it really does. That's what I thought about Breakfast Club, which awesome. Breakfast Club actually it looked, looked really, really yeah, cause good. Yeah, because I got that from the Blu-ray too. It looked awesome. Yeah, and it shows you that older movies. Well, we've seen The Godfather, yeah. for instance. Older movies that you think, well, they can't possibly look good, given the right person of the job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then we probably. We'll go into this later, but Gladiator <laughs> wasn't it supposed to be Gladiator this week? Yes, it was. Well, we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, this is 12 Monkeys, and you're going to tell us what it's about. Thank you to our friends at Universal for sending it over. I'm going to tell you what it's about. Well, oh. it as, is as as um, a man who is questionably mentally ill, traveling between uh, some time periods, few, you know, time traveling a bit. And the question is, is he insane? Is he not? Um, and it's, uh, it's got question- some, uh, many themes, but the overriding theme is like a kind of a, you know, uh, prevention of doomsday kind of a movie. I was going to say the question is kind of everything about this movie. It's a big yeah. question, isn't it? It's like, is that this? I mean, you started that- on the premise that he's coming back to find a cure to a virus that at some point in the future has decimated the human population. He needs to find the root of it so he can take that back so they can find a cure. Uh-huh. And it's made very clear. It's not, he's not trying to save the world. Save, he's like a, he start, you, know, you start out, he's a prisoner in some weird prison in the future, etc. It's got... It's really hard to explain, but it's not confusing to me at all when you watch it. And I know some people might disagree with that, but I never. And the first time I watched it, I wasn't confused. I was more like, "Wow, that's a lot of ideas I, to get." You know, when you head. say not confused, neither was I. I didn't find it confusing, but some things are. I'm 
ambiguous, right? Yeah, the question of. The question is of he why. Insane, yeah. Oh. Or is it in his mind? Is it not in his mind? And that's supposed to be swirling around in your mind. So yeah. that I accept. And that's the, that's the actual whole premise of the film. But I was never like, what? What the hell's going on? I'm too stupid to understand. You know, I mean, I'm not being rude. I'm just saying. No. <laughs> it's another Terry Gilliam film I talked about to you earlier was uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> I can honestly say, if you are not lost in that movie, it's not doing its job. Like, because it, it it's it isn't a narrative at all. Like, it's so, a trip. So there's there's parts of that movie where you're like, uh, I don't get this, but I'm going with it. Exactly, what I'm saying it's this, like a this, trip. This, does, this isn't that kind of movie. It's a drug induced thing, and you just are supposed to like this. Naked Lunch by David Cronenberg is another. That was based on a book, but it's an, that is another movie to me. So. I don't know if it's surrealist. David Lynch movies too, where being lost is part of the thing to me. Is Barton Fink as co- as confusing as I remember it thinking? Not confusing in a bad way, but did it have layers like that? It not seems to as be much. One of those. No, not as much. Not as much I'm as like of some other, maybe I'm thinking of Naked Lunch, the dude with the hat typing with cockroaches. Yes. Tyrator turning into a cockroach. Really odd, but just go with it's it. Buckaroo Banzai guy. Peter Weller. Yeah, and just, you know, those kind of movies. Like, I like David Lynch movies because I have no idea what's going on half the time. Mulholland Drive. There's no... Mulholland Drive is... For me, in David Lynch terms, Mulholland Drive is, like, really, like, more straightforward than the others. Mm. Like, a razor head. What the hell? I've never seen a razor head. Yeah, what the hell, though? I mean, (laughs) it's a good movie. You gotta get it But I can't tell you why it's good. (laughs) And I can't tell you if, if that, I get what it's about. That kind of sums up 12 Monkeys, except that it is quality. Yes. The performances are fantastic. The writing is awesome. The ideas, I think, are really well executed. The sets are awesome. Those are like kind of like cookie-cutter reasons why it's good. But when you shove it all together, it's hard to describe to someone why it's a good film experience. Because I know for a fact, if I describe this movie to 20 people that I know... And then they go watch it. They're gonna be like, "What the fuck was she? What is she talking about? This isn't good." I could imagine. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you're into like the just the standard type of movie, this is definitely not going to appeal to you. You'll be you'll be lost in the first. I mean, you say you, you didn't get lost. No, neither did I. Most people would, I think, like your average movie. Girl. Yeah, and the problem is they don't give themselves enough chance to just sit there and let it happen without somebody handing it to you on a plate and don't always having to lean to someone next to you and go what's happening why is this happening why did that guy do that why are they doing this just let it happen and it'll all come together yeah this one does actually come together some don't right and but that's also fun for me like david some david lynch films in particular where you know it doesn't resolve itself you just went on a journey like naked lunch cronenberg Mm -hmm. There is no... I mean, yes, there is. There's something going on in that, but you can't 100%... It's, it, like you say, it's a trip, a ride, a, mm-hmm. and it's not wrapped up nicely at the end. It's, it's not like, here are the characters, here's their conflict, here's, here's the their resolution. Parts. Yeah, yeah, it's none of that. <laughs> and, and Crash, for instance, Cronenberg's Crash, it's not like... It's just... I don't know. There's something about these... There's several filmmakers on the planet who do this well. I don't think Terry Gilliam's the kind who wants to fit into anything anyway. He just does his own thing. I admire that. I think he's torn. Yeah, he's tormented too. We were talking about punk being a manufactured thing, whereas now if you think you're punk, 
like to be on the fringe or outside of the mainstream, well, you've just stepped into another mainstream. Into a niche thing. You've, yeah. Into well, your own little thing. Well, that's not your own Manufactured thing. thing, I mean. Yeah, it's a mainstream thing. Being punk is mainstream, right? It's in every store and every... You, it's a look, it's a style, it's a lifestyle that's been created. And Gilliam's like, he wants to be Mr. I do my own thing, which he seems to. And yet, I think the lure of being in the Hollywood system is kind of there. Because otherwise he would just say, screw it and quit, right? Like but, somebody like David Lynch, who doesn't um, particularly... Do you ever see David Lynch on anything? Advertising, promoting? You do not. Like He, not that he no does way. his thing and then he... Goes away. away, like yeah, it's like that's my thing, and I've done it. Yeah, like Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, and th- and there it is for you people to see, and I'm done. I'm not like on David Letterman, <laughs> you know. It, you know. Yeah, like, true. You true. Just don't see him like Gilliam has a bit of showman about him where and he I sells think he, his product, and he battles that. Yeah, because he doesn't want to be a quote unquote sellout, and yet he's Mr. Monty Python, which as irreverent as it was, became and is in our minds. A huge mainstream thing for people to, no, you know. So. What you say about Monty Python, they've got the notoriety of something like the Beatles in the comedy world. I mean, it's like yeah. you don't touch it. Everybody knows them, and yet they everybody wanted admires to be them. fringe, rebellious kind of. Which thing. they were. I mean, that stuff on BBC at the time, what they did, was unbelievable. I mean, to get away with what they did and said, and then, then when the movies came out... Well, it didn't magically get on TV. All those executives made Oh, no, decisions. I didn't magically get on TV, but <laughs> so. I'm saying for that time, when everything was very sort of Benny Hill-ish and mm. are you being served, they were like as far away from that as you can get. Kind of, well, like Terry Gilliam's movies. Um, and yet they all fell in as they grew older into every mainstream. Into main, like John Cleese, <laughs> about as mainstream as you can get. Exactly. Now. So, yeah. I mean, he's Q on Bond. You know what I mean? Yeah. How much more in the line of mainstreamness can you get? Terry Gilliam's probably the one that didn't fit in as well as everybody else. I mean, Eric Idle did. I mean, Eric Idle was in National Lampoon's vacation, European Vacation and things like that, you know? Right, and Terry isn't Gilliam. he the travel guy? Or one of them is a professor or something now. Um, yeah, who was that, the travel guy? It's Eric Idle, I think, isn't it? Did like a travel show on the BBC. And then somebody's like a history professor now, or studies history. It might be him, I don't know. But yeah, so, so what we're getting at here is Terry Gilliam was the original Monty Python person. As with this conversation, the movie is hard to pin down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it's not hard to pin down, it's clear cut. And yet it opens up a lot of things to you to think about, and so... Thought provoking. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as we'll point out later. With yeah. those, why that's funny. So, yeah, it's without spoiling things. But also, I feel like I could say anything about this and not spoil it if I said it out of context. Um, I think Most I think things. it's easy to because if you're never watching it, you don't want things revealed because that's part of the, you know. Anyway, all I can say right as today. Um, September the 6th, 2009. Many years after this movie has existed, I could have seen it a lot. I could have seen it any day up to now. Today I saw it. I would recommend people seeing it. Oh, highly. If you've not seen it. Certain people. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it. But Blu-ray's a good way to see it anyway. Um, I recommend... Did you get that feeling you got with Dark City? Like, wow, now I belong to the group. no. (laughs) No, I didn't, actually. And... I don't feel it's... I like Dark City a lot more. Really? I just like... It was fairly mind-blowing to me, Dark City's whole... 
the visual thing and the actual, yeah, you know, revelatory the thing shot. about. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty mind blowing to me. It was like a, it was one of those rare movies where I'm looking at it going, okay, that's kind of not something I was thinking about. But that's awesome. Like, that's you know, awesome, yeah. Like, you know, knowing what we watched with uh, Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. I know that's not brilliant or anything, by all, by all means. But it's by the director of Dark City, that's why I mentioned it. That also had moments of brilliance in there. I just don't think it was done as well. Mm, I think brilliance is a strong word for knowing how I mean, idea, ideas. I mean brilliance in the sci-fi yeah, realms. Like, I know what you mean. Because knowing wasn't great, but then there was moments of it where I was watching it thinking... This is pretty badass what's happening now. And we mentioned it in the knowing review. Yeah. There's stuff in there that you don't See think. there there's the opposite. It's hard to ex- describe to some people why a movie's really good, and in knowing's case, it's hard to describe to somebody why it Cuz it's fairly cuz knowing's as fairly well. bad like. Yeah. I mean it's fairly bad in terms of like Nicolas Cage isn't very good. The cast isn't very good. It seems edited the story's a bit, a bit weird. Yeah, and, and like a bit uh, hodgepodge. But then there's moments like the plane thing and the mm-hmm. train thing and the end part <laughs> that is like, oh my god, this is like a better movie than a lot of movies I've seen. Yet it's just inconsistent. Like whereas Twelve Monkeys is consistently good. Consistently like every good. moment is. I'm on my like zoomed in on everything it's it's like sensory overload sometimes with the sets and with the acting and with the ideas that you're trying to mull over while they're trying to mull over what they're doing and it's unless like, not it's not an action movie at all it's more of a thinky um would you say a mystery like a thriller not even a thriller like a it's hard they called it a sci-fi thriller but it really, i wouldn't say it was a thriller because it's not thrilling i think really. that's just because they had to tag a label on it but um it's more of a it's just a you will thought provoking like yeah. you will think about it for a while because I was when it when the credits were rolling I was thinking about stuff. It's basically I don't even call it a, a story necessarily, but it is a, a sliver an idea of characters depicting the ideal of fatalism, the idea that everything is just what it is, and there was. The end result of everything is always going to be the same regardless of what you do or not do. Which is... I mean, that's a whole theme. That's an ideology, like an actual theme, right? And that's what it is, an exploration of that. Is that a real thing or is that not a real thing? Is everything really on a... You know, like that. So that's how I look at it. But there's no way to define that, is it? Is there? (laughs) You can't say, like, they call it a sci-fi thriller. Because there's a bit of a mystery. It's futuristic. And then they have to label it, I guess. Yeah, no... Yeah, Terry Gilliam didn't want a label on it, yeah. so let's not us put one on. No. Um, so let's move on to the cast, because I don't want to really ruin that movie for anybody. Because if you've not seen it, and you've actually stayed clear of spoilers for this amount of time... Yeah, and I think talking about the cast will help me explain more what's good about it. Yeah, now, there's a lot of people in this movie. I mean, it's not a movie of four people, but we put the four main people down. Uh, Bruce Willis is James Cole. Now, what do you think of Bruce Willis in this Here's my thing on Bruce Willis, and I was thinking about it while I was watching it. Bruce Willis is pretty versatile, yet not at the same time. (laughs) And I say that because I admire some of the choices he's made. Because, I mean, the fifth element, genius. Like, uh, who would have known about that movie? You know, I think that's one of the greatest sci-fi movies 
and hey, you're preaching to the Bruce Willis is part of it, right? I mean, like you just made a, me want to go watch it right now. That's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> it, I love it. Bruce Willis is yeah. part of that. Um, and then there's things like, you know, die, the Die Hard movies that everybody knows him for. If you don't like them or you do like them, there's something to be said about him in them. Sixteen I mean, it's, Blocks it's is a, one of those that takes a step outside of that, but he's good in that. Yeah, but but neutral too. Yeah, and then then things like Pulp Fiction. You know, one of my favorite movies ever. He's I like his story as one of the best stories in it, you know. He's done a lot of stuff, is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yet, there's always something familiar about him. I mean, the way he, he you know, Sin City, another kind of avant-garde, like, uh, out of the... Yeah. No, Whole nine yards, a, yeah. comedy. Did yeah, it, did he's it. done it. He's, yeah, that was his phase <laughs> of that, you know. Yeah. He's... Moonlighting. Yeah, God, Moonlight. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? <laughs> it was forever ago. Like, forever. And I always watched that on TV. I loved it. And I really liked him in this. I think I have to separate... You mentioned it when we were watching the extras. You feel like Bruce Willis as the as the Bruce Willis megastar. Even that on this movie. This is post-Die Hard movies. Uh, up to three. That he... He's Mr. Wise, movie-making, action star guy. And he brings all... I mean, every scene you see back behind the scenes of him... He's got loads of input. He's got to do it. Like he's taking, like he his idea. He doesn't agree with Terry Gilliam exactly. All and then the he'll time. say like, "Well, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I mean, I, I disagree, but if that's what you want to try, and you just feel like he's got this sort of not bullish, but um, I know a lot more than everybody else. But if you little people want to make it this decision, I'll go along with it. But you're wrong. You know what I mean? So I have to separate that. And when I watch him in this one, there are so many moments when he's really. Yeah, it's good. really good. I mean, there's either good or really good. There's nothing below that. For and me you know, it's, this is a funny thing I've noticed from watching Blu-rays and DVDs, and they have extras, and you see the filmmaking process a lot of the time, and you've seen Bruce Willis in enough sets of extras to actually pick up a a real behind-the-scenes kind of. I understand how he works because yeah. you've seen a no- you've seen him in numerous extras coming up to directors and saying, "I think we should make it a bit tougher or do a bit of this," and it's just a pattern. It's or funny. I say a lot of things. A lot of times I say the audience won't get this. The audience doesn't see that. The audience won't because he's Mister Movie Man. It's entrenched in him. Like yeah. he knows what the producers want. He is the producer half the time, isn't he? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a, he's invested in executive that. producer. You yeah, think he puts money into him. I think he probably does now, right? I mean, he's now, probably got yeah. a bottomless pit of money, right? <laughs> you think? I, I imagine. <laughs> I mean, he's in the... That, he's got, I was just talking about Artie Lang getting $55,000 from Elf. True. How, what does he get from Die Hard? Yeah, what, what I was actually talking about was Artie Lang from Howard Stern Show was in a movie called Elf, which everybody probably knows. He was a small part in Elf. but Six he was, years ago. He was mentioning on, on the show that every Christmas, because it's, like it's a Christmas movie, Every Christmas he gets this check from the people who made it for X amount of money depending on how many DVD copies it sold that year or whatever. And this year it happened to be $55,000, which is no small amount of money. That's more money than I make that, a year. I know, and that's for that's one little check for one tiny... And he said it was one day of filming five or six years ago. Now, Bruce Willis... What about those diad checks? God, I can't even imagine. If he gets fifty-five, they're they're, they're even they're, moonlighting. If they were smart enough in that, um, surely they were yeah. by then in the eighties to have. Because I'm sure they get sold on DVD as well. But those diad checks have to be in the millions of dollars oh, yeah. every single time, right? So 
That's what I'm talking about, Mr. Willis's money pits. He's probably got one. It's not as deep as some people's pits, but that's going to be Talking of pits. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was really unplanned. Yeah. And spontaneous and uh, lovely. Mr. Bradley Pitt as Jeffrey Goines. Um, Bradley being his middle name. We looked him up last week. Yeah, we did, yeah. <laughs> Brad to his friends. Um, we'll call him Mr. Pitt then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Brad Pitt is in here before his rise to stardom. On the on no, the cusp, on the eve of his rise, because they said that Legend of the Fall and uh, Interview with the Vampire had not been theatrically released. Not yet, Maybe, but it was but between. Not. Yeah, it was right before. So Gilliam's kind of like, if they would have happened, he probably wouldn't have had Brad Pitt in this movie because he would have cost too much. It's kind of like what Kevin Smith was hoping with Seth Rogen on. I think so. <laughs> Unfortunately, because uh, how I see it is, Kevin Smith saw the Judapato films with Seth Rogen in them, and and saw, wow, mm. look how popular those are, and that guy is real charming, and everybody loves him, and then made a movie which happened to be Zach and Mary make a porno with Seth Rogen, and it was kind of a flop. It was a flop. Let's he say. says he got him before. He did, but it's kind seems, of right in that area as well. Yeah, it's so. right in the area, but it. It was almost like he was thinking that was banking. You yeah. get him in there, you're definitely a success because he's in it. And I don't know if that was the plan with Pitt, but it was right on the verge of that. And I'm thinking, in my opinion, River Runs Through It, Legend of the Fall, uh, Vampire, all those came out right there. And this, this to me, when I'm watching Brad Pitt in this, is the one where he's not Brad Pitt to me. Because uh-uh. he is a Looney Tune and he's, on my mind, he's awesome. Because I just watch him thinking like, it's... Super he's, high energy. And let's say he's not in it. Like, he's not yeah. the star or nothing. I mean, he's in um, less, than, less than a third of the movie, I would say. But oh, yeah, that, the, the scene at the the scenes at the beginning in the mental institution, they're just amazing. I mean, yeah, like, because that's when a person, like an actor, this is one thing that caused some actors to me to beat to like I can't get into them, to get into them because they don't just. Cut open loose. Up, yeah. yeah, open up exactly. And he, and this is like, if this isn't opening up, I don't know what is because he totally. Yeah, it's and it's like funny because the moving and the thinking, the touching and flipping everybody off. Yeah, and, and in the extras, he's talking to a real, oh well, to a doctor about like, uh, just tell me stuff about people who are in mental, mental institutions, like so I can get an idea. And he does a little bit of it in that room, and it's real subdued compared to what he really does on the screen. Because I was thinking. Because he was, you know... Building it, learning it. And I was thinking, well, that, that, that what you're doing there, it's like that, but cranked 50 up. times more cranked up, yeah. Because he's real hyper and... And it's quality. It's not like he's just gone crazy and being like a goofball. It's like really... I don't know. It's really compelling. I find I, it I really sit and watch funny that over and over. When there's all the mental patients who are like <laughs> playing... You know, the ones that are kind of drugged up and that, and they're just playing games of... <laughs> Checkers and he's just throwing their boards up in the air and it's he's kind like of you free. play games, you play games, the play games. And it's it's voluntary sedation. It's but, like the but game then it's all like... chaos because they're all freaking out. All yeah. it, ah. So yeah, it's it's... Really, and the things he says. Who wrote those? David Peoples and his wife, yeah. Barbara Peoples, or whatever name I forget her first name. Sorry, but um, he has real poignant. They stuff. write very poignant. Yeah, that television and games and these entertainment distractions of life, like movies and movie podcasts, we could apply. 
It's just distraction. It's just sedation so that we become consumers and we buy stuff and we buy stuff and we buy stuff and we buy stuff. And, and if, if we don't buy stuff, we're yes, crazy. And if, if we you, do buy stuff, we're, uh, we're crazy. You know, if like, you don't buy stuff, if you, he said, like, if you don't buy stuff, that's why you'll be one of us. Yeah, like, and we can't know. use the phone because then we'll call people and then we'll infect people infect on the outside world with our craziness and it'll spread. And it's just like, I want to listen to that, that whole thing over so and over. So you were thinking that there's an interesting parallel here in this movie. I know it's not written by Terry Gilliam at all, the movie, but there's an interesting parallel to the whole movie and Terry Gilliam as a person trying to fit into that Hollywood thing because he that's his conflict. Yeah, yeah. Exactly the same thing. It's, um, he is conflicted about whether to <laughs> go with it or do his own thing or... I want to make a successful movie that nobody will see. That's kind of like his conflict. Or I want to... He says, yeah. I want to make a successful movie that only we like, yeah, like I like. the three of us in this room. Yeah. But, yeah. So... You know, and and I also something that I heard this week is also fits in with this. It's weird how things come together, but I was listening to somebody talking about Tarantino's new movie, The Inglorious Bastards, and the fact that another movie with Brad Pitt. There's another link. Um, the fact that eighty five percent of the movie is German with English subtitles, and how that's not the norm in Hollywood, is it? I mean, that's a hard thing to. It's a hard movie to get across to audiences. It's a subtitle movie, essentially. Only, only, uh, you know, there's only yeah. a tiny twenty percent of it's in English. So, which is not alluded to in the trailers. So a lot of people not are at all. like, "What the hell?" Yeah, not at all. It, you know, it, it, you know what? Um, is another one. Passion of the Christ. It's not alluded to that. That's not in English when you see a trailer. No, because they don't show you anybody talking, so you wouldn't know. But this one, um, in Glorious Bastards, there were. There's been some negative criticism because of the subtitles. Oh my god. Annoying. But that's Tarantino. Not, no, subtitles aren't annoying. You mean people complaining. People complaining right. about subtitles. But, but um, somebody described it as Tarantino slipped an independent foreign film into the Hollywood thing, like stealth, stealthily in some way. Right. And now people are complaining about it, you know? Because when you go and see his movie, and we've not seen it yet, but we will, it's almost like you're watching a European art house film, but but it's a Tarantino film. And it's a big Hollywood block. Yeah, exactly, and Tarantino's in the Hollywood thing, but he slipped something yeah, in there. Yeah, let's not confuse small, artsy European movie with big Hollywood No, I guess you could say this about Kill Bill as well. He slipped a very Anime, Asian anime <laughs> um, movie into an American niche thing into it you know but yeah that was what I was getting at Terry Gilliam is a round peg in a square hole mm. and Tarantino kind of I think he wants to be fit the square hole but he's torn he doesn't want to be a cell and all that stuff but yeah um, but going back to the cast yeah a couple of other <laughs> couple of other people we got uh, Matt well the female lead is Madeline Stowe as Catherine Riley um I don't 100% like her. Like, I, she's the one thing that, for me, I didn't like her 100% I've only her liked her in a couple of, of movies. Of course, I love uh, Last of the Mohicans, you know. Stay alive. Mm-hmm. I will find you. Every time I see that, I'm just like, oh my god. And I liked her in that. She was pretty stoic, as she her name implies. And in this one, watching it again, I really liked her. Because there were so many moments when I thought that's absolutely... I'm. I mean, I'm not even thinking about it. I think about it afterwards. Like, her reactions to him, the way they interact with each my, other. My f- I loved it. She totally goes from the analytical staunch... You know, not staunch. She never was. She was like a helper. 
psychiatrist. Like, uh-huh. when she first comes in the prison and she's, you know, she's brave. Because she just goes in with this mental guy. He's, He's dribbling. drooling at the yeah. mouth and, like, been beating up cops and shit. And she just goes right in. So you know right immediately, strong woman. Like, she's, boom. Uh, and then as it goes, obviously she's kind of... Uh, logic based so everything he's saying is like he's crazy and then she's afraid of him and then she starts maybe kind of thinking of what he's saying is true and she actually changes now I think this character arc and all that I understand that storytelling blah 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 sometimes I get a little bored by people talking about it but this character really does and she does it I think really well and there are moments when he's sitting on the bed and she's in the hotel room and he says something and she does this gesture like ugh it's very, I was just like, like oh, it's very totally stars. there. Like she, like she thinks she's getting into an intelligent conversation, but then he's babbling his nut job stuff. Yes, and then she's just like, ah, oh, I'm done with that. Like and I, she does this movement, and yeah. then she does her clothes in a way, and I'm just like, I really was loved watching her, and that made me think maybe there's other movies I'd like to see. And I think that. that's part of the interesting relationship between them two is like, he, you know, is he a nut job? Isn't he a nut job? Whatever. But she has these moments of like, I'm the doc. It's the doctor patient thing. But then, oh, he's starting to make sense. And then, oh no, he's not making sense. He's just mad. Yeah, and she pulls. She yeah, it's all convincing in and to out me. Of it. Yeah, yeah. But but there's something under like the other people I liked hundred percent of the time. Her, there was sometimes I felt she was trying a bit too hard. I don't know what it was. See, I think you think about her the way I think about your chick from Jade or whatever she's called. I don't like her. Florentino Linda. Yeah, I like her. I know. <laughs> Not Jade either. Last Seduction is the Last one. Last Seduction. Why do I keep thinking she's there is, She's in Jade too. Okay. I don't particularly Last like Seduction's Jade. Last Seduction is the one you like. And she was also in uh, Dogma. Correct. And um, Kevin Smith said she was not very cool to work with or something. Yeah. Didn't he? I don't think he digged her that much. They don't speak anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and last but not least is David Morse's... Uh, Creepy scientist, but that's not his real name. <laughs> that's what I call him because he's creepy. He's an anonymous, he's famous creepy. guy who you will he is. know. He was on St. Elsewhere for anyone my age who was a child in those years when St. Elsewhere, Saint Elsewhere was on, and he was the nice guy, the nice doctor, kind of the Dr. Green doctor. If you watch ER, and he was precursor to that, but he was like the nice sort of poor. He was in 16 Blocks with Bruce Willis. He was in 16 Blocks as the bad guy. He was in Dancer in the Dark, where he was a really nasty piece of work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, He's creepy. He has a really bad wig in this one. But, he does. <laughs> you know, I have to, like, skip over that. It's, like, the one bad distracting thing. Because you're not... It's possibly the worst wig. One of the worst wigs you've ever... Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's I, not... I kept thinking, really, did they it's have like, to do it? It's like, yeah, exactly. Mm. But uh, he's, he's good, he's creepy, and he's subtle, and he has barely any lines. And yet, his character is totally impactful. I mean, you understand his position in the whole thing. And, and, and let's say there's many more people in this movie, but those are the ones that kind of stick out. And and it really is Bruce Willis, Madeleine Stowe's yeah, journey. Yeah. Um, and Brad Pitt is a peripheral thing, but it's more... I'd say 90 That's one thing the movie does pull off for me, and I just realized it. A lot of these movies where there's the, the like doomsday thing, you know, the potential for the end of humankind or whatever... And they feel really claustrophobic because they don't venture out and show you the world. Well, this one doesn't venture out and show you the world at all. But because of the time travel element, and they do a little road trip, and you see enough variety of things, I feel the scope of it. I feel Hmm. the potential 
for all of humankind to be in jeopardy at this point. And a lot of movies don't do that. Yeah, even me. movies like big things like The Day After Tomorrow, Has you don't heart, particularly yeah. feel the jeopardy. You just Overall. feel like it's not going to happen. Like To me, I always feel, oh, okay, somebody's going to save the day. But this one, it's hard to even imagine how it's going to yeah. be solved. Because you feel it's just massive. It, it's massive. Yeah. Because you understand it. So I think premise. that's one of the reasons it's so successful, mm-hmm. right? Because it is a twist on story. I mean, is it, well, it's just an odd story. It's not. It's not your straight run of the mill no. story. Um, so it's directed by Terry Gilliam, as we mentioned earlier, who also directed um, one of my. I won't mention that one. One of my um, recommendations for the week. He also directed Brazil, as we mentioned earlier. Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and The Fisher King. He's a, you know, he has a lot of fans. He's a... He has his thing. I don't know that if I were watching a Terry Gilliam movie, other than knowing what they are, that I would know it's a Terry Gilliam movie. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Even though he's unique in his own way. It's not like you can... You can tell you're watching a David Lynch movie. I can... <laughs> if you put a new one in front of me that I don't know about, I can tell I'm watching one. It's just the way it is, like, you know, there's something very, like, it's a stamp. I don't think Philly has a stamp. I mean, Brazil's very different to this, and, you know, Fisher King is very different again, isn't it? But mm-hmm. they do have something that tie them together. Yeah. A little surrealness. I, I think I watched Fisher King once. I haven't seen Brazil. <clears throat> You've seen Fair and Loathing with me. Mm hmm. Now, that one's bananas, really. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I like him. I like his sensibility. Because he's not playing by the rules 100%, is he? It definitely is. Definitely his style is more the visual, like the backgrounds, the art, the costumes, the... the Sort of detail. post-apocalyptic mixed with future, mixed with the past, mixed with a jumbled mind kind of thinker who they described in the extras in one at one point of him obsessing over this little hamster wheel being in the scene while Bruce Willis is sitting naked in a chair taking his own blood in the midst of this big machine and all these cables and everything and it's real weird, futuristic, but really grungy warehouse looking place. And... When you see the scene, you don't have any idea what they're talking about. When he obsessed over getting a hamster to run inside of a wheel behind a piece of plexiglass that's fogged you over. You won't be able to see it. No. And yet he couldn't let the rest of it happen without that working out correctly. And that then, to me, applies to every other detail in the whole in the whole shot. So I think I identify that from him. That he's really into that. Like, if they're in the car and they're having an argument, he wants to that everything in the background, for as far as the eye can see, is going to have some detail attached to it. Yeah. That is him. But it's still not specific, you know? No. Like, I, know what you're, I know what you're saying. So, um, Blu-ray, uh, I, I actually like this. I've always liked that mm-hmm. poster slash cover. Yeah. It's the... You can't see it, obviously, on the podcast. <laughs> it's the theatrical poster for 12 Monkeys that you've probably seen. It's, um... I just think it's a pretty cool yeah. picture. Um... This is, you know, it's, it's your standard Universal uh, DVD. It's not, not special edition or anything. There's no fancy slipcase. It's what it is, and it's fine, actually, because yep. the quality of the movie is really good. Um, now, it has a few extras. 
one, a feature commentary with Terry Gilliam and the producer Charles Roven. Um, a recently recorded one, do you know? Or no, it's, it's not one? recently. The original recorded. DVD. It's from the original DVD, yeah. Um, and then there is what is one of the best extras money can buy. It's a 90-minute like feature film-length documentary. It's not in high definition, unfortunately, but that's pro- just because of when it was made. I mean, it, well, it's not too bad. No. Um, and it's called The Hamster Factor and Other Tales of Twelve Monkeys. And it's, it's one of those... When we watched the Iron Man DVD and it had the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. following Jon Favreau throughout the entire thing... This is what this is, but it kind of has a slant of, like, Terry Gilliam against the machine, which is Hollywood. And it has some real fascinating... It even shows you how a test audience works, which you don't generally see. You just kind of skirt around it. But this test audience, let's say, don't like 12 Monkeys very much. And it's... It almost makes me squirm to like see the re- see the re- you know the yeah think of all the potential of movies that we have not you just got don't to get see. to see them because somebody put their hand up and said it was terrible. Come some twat said I don't understand it. Was it. It's no. too slow for me, and then you end up with a lot of shitty movies because of those groups. I think. But yeah, you'll learn. It's fascinating, and it follows like almost the psyche of Terry Gilliam he tells you everything he feels like which I really liked because he was like this is the point where we're up to this part and you get lots of criticism here and yeah and he it's also done in a documentary style also it has in the sort of 80s early 90s style where you've got the voiceover of the guy saying and when Terry took the movie to the studio there was a lot of discussion about blah 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 and then of course you see the scenes of it so it's done in a style that isn't high it's produced it's edited well but it's not the new glossy bullshit that you no, get with none the, of that none of that weird camera shit it's a, it's and a like, film it's a it's documentary it's not like fast paced or anything which is totally useless mm-hmm. like really useless it's this not is, a press kit this it's is a- all information no flash. And not slanted. All substance. It's not studio slanted. In fact, it's anti-studio. And he said he is, wanted the documentary crew because, as with his, uh, some other movies he's tried to make and had the studio involved and then the end product he didn't necessarily approve of, as in the case of Brazil, he wanted, if anything did go wrong day to day, that he had this sort of documentary record of how he was trying to do it to show people. So, And it's kind of what it is. It's showing his little journey of... And one of the most fascinating ones, you know what I was about to say after we'd finished watching it, that it was all, almost more fascinating than the movie. And the movie's good. Yeah, yeah. But I, if you like 12 Monkeys and you haven't seen this documentary, I'd say it's a documentary film, because it really is a film. Oh, totally. It's the journey of making a awkward film. Because it, it's almost awkward, the film. Like it, I feel yeah. like he's going to work every day. Not and happy. Just, Everybody is saying, what's this shit that yeah. he's making? Yeah, and he's on like, pins and needles because he's moody. You can tell that he's yeah. got a little bit of the... And there is a there yeah. is a section in the movie where they don't film it, but he has a big, what would you say, a to-do, a big argument with executives. The one where it shows you the trifle or whatever instead. The fruit salad. Oh, no, it was, yeah, because somebody uh-huh. said something on the set and he said... I'm not going to make this movie anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, and then goes to his trailer. But, you know, that it's that gritty. The, the, you, you obviously don't see that conversation, right. but you get the vibe of things aren't good on the set. You know? And then the payoff, if it is a payoff, and this is where I think Terry Gilliam falls into this 
I want to be a success without success kind of guys because the whole thing is resistant, resistant. I want to make my own movie. I want to do it my way. The studio's telling me this and that and the other. And obviously the vibe from every producer you get on every movie extra. They're just, they seem like real. They just want the money. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they just feel like, you know, I understand it's a business, but come on. Why do you have to seem so sleazy? Yeah, yeah, totally. And in the end then, of course, you get... And where they're worried about the cost, and you're only getting this much money, and you only get this many days, and we're, we don't like this, and you've got to do it different. And then in the end, of course, the credits start to roll, and you see how much money it's made, and how mm-hmm. big of a success it was, and it's kind of like a little mm, stick. But then, is that really what he wants? You know what I mean? It's a, it's an, that's what this extra that's does for me. Interesting, yeah. It makes me think, does he just want to go to a little flat and make little independent movies and actually just struggle and not have any of the notoriety? Or does he want to be the big, famous person but maintain his little... You know, it's really tough I also one. like a frank discussion where he just sits in front of the camera and says, do you know what? Films don't do it for me anymore. I make a movie. Oh, yeah. And there's no payoff. There's no joy to it. He thinks at some point, even at the end of it when he's promoting it or he watches it, that there'll be something and it's just, there's nothing. He says there's nothing, it's just empty. He makes a movie and, which I found really interesting because every other extra that you see on anything, where it's the Hollywoody type, is the director, they're always about how great people are, you know. Yeah. You don't hear Terry Gilliam saying how great Bruce Willis is. You don't, he doesn't pump anybody up. He no, just, no. He just In fact, he makes it disagrees. very clear. This is a movie that had to be made. That the reason we're able to make it is because these guys are big stars. Now yeah. I don't want people to think of it as a when they're coming to see it. Oh, they're going to want a Bruce Willis movie, but that's not what they're going to get. Yeah. So he's got a little bitterness there that uh-huh. he has to work with a big star who's already comes with his own baggage, and yet this movie wouldn't have gotten the money if he didn't have his big star. Oh, so possibly the he, audience too. Yeah, since he has his big star. It's not like he wants to make him look bad, but he wants to make him work for it. Like, work for every ounce of whatever is going to come out of this thing. So it's an, it's really interesting. But that anyway, extra... regardless of what... The I mean, mo- that's what I got out of the extra. Yeah, so, so did I. And the movie and this... It's a must-watch, this, this movie as well. It's another movie. Because you get a full two movies worth. They're a must-watch together, because they're companions, for sure. If you really like the filmmaking process, I don't think I've seen one as good as that. Apart from the Iron Man one, but that one's a bit more glossy than this. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, because you get to see warts and all, as they say. It, you know, when a, um, what was the one we saw? Magnolia had a good one. Hellboy too. two was pretty good. Yeah, that one, that was, one pretty was pretty good. good. But still, because they're special effects movies and stuff. Yeah. This one's just more about Terry Gilliam. It's not really about. It's about how he feels, hurdles he's jumping through. That whole interesting bit where they're editing the movie on an Avid machine, which yeah. is, you know, you don't see that now. You just see people clicking buttons on a keyboard now, don't you? You don't see anybody winding a thing. One of the best things I thought, he said, you know, when we're sitting there and we're talking about ideas and I'm saying for this scene, I want, you know, I want a, a and he says, I want a dwarf and I want a giant and I want this in the background. I want that machine. And I want this. And he goes, and then you get to the set and they brought it all to the set <laughs> and they're all like, here it is. And he's like, no, I don't want all this. And yeah. they're like, but here it is. You've got to do it. And then he's like, ah, it just confuses me. And he's like, so I, like, he doesn't understand his power yeah. to say to them. I want these 50 things in the shot. They do it for him. And then he's like, uh, uh, I don't really know what to do with all of this stuff. So that was another revealing thing, I thought, that he didn't realize. Yeah, after as making a big name huge director. movies like exactly. Brazil, you know. Um, 
And then the final extra on here is 12 Monkeys Archives, which is just a... Um, because Terry Gilliam's also an artist, it's a lot of his concept art for... I don't know whether it's all him, probably his, his people as well, but concept art and po- the, the 12 Monkeys poster, which actually isn't featured anywhere on this box. The the black with the red. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a ton of concept art. And there's also BD Live, which contain nothing about 12 Monkeys, as usual. The trailer's on the disc as well. Yeah, theatrical trailer. Um, so that's your lot. Um I totally enjoyed it. It's one for one for the shelf. One repeated viewings yeah. for sure. I think you could get something different out of it if you watched it again. Like I agree. You know, if you watched it next month, it probably it's mean. one of those movies that, other than you and a very small group of people on this planet, I can't even imagine that I know that I I can't even list them now. I would say less than three people. That would be one or two. Most people would that I would want to sit you. down and watch it with them uh-huh. because then you'd have a good discussion. Nobody else, because I just can't imagine unless and I can't imagine watching it with people who wouldn't lean over and go, "What just happened? Yeah, like what, what is this? Why? Why is this happening? Uh, like no. what's happening the entire time? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's a weird one in that way because I want to. I'm proud of it. It's weird. It's one of those movies I feel proud of it that I like it that I want people to enjoy it, but I know that most people won't overall. But it didn't hurt it, because it is oh, a no, huge no. success and still awesome. sells today, uh, that many years later, on a new format. So, And one that people have been looking forward to, because I see people saying, when's that coming out, when's that coming out? So thank you to Universal for the uh, Blu-ray disc. And Once again. Next week's Blu-ray disc uh, review will be An American Werewolf in London. The, so we're uh, skipping over the whole Gladiator thing now. No, it's... it's we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. An American Werewolf in London. Woo! Um, the, the Full Moon Edition, which... Interestingly enough, contains. This is what I'm interested in. <laughs> Let me just. Uh, hey, wait a minute! You're reading the back of another DVD box. It's called "Beware the Moon," a feature-length retrospective documentary with the cast and crew, including John Landis and makeup artist Rick Baker. Current, like yeah, the cur- awesome, a retrospective awesome, awesome. one. So, I love this movie. We'll <laughs> say that before next week, um, just so you know where I stand. I mean, it's one of the first horror movies I really saw properly. I really dig it. I, I ho- I'm hoping I dig it as much. You know? Me too. Um, we might have gotten a little bit, you know. I don't know. It the was shine pretty, might have rubbed off. It's pretty good in, in that kind of... <laughs> I just watched Breakfast Club again yesterday, like I said, and it's absolutely fantastic. I, I Seriously, I'm a 41-year-old woman, and I realize now even more things about it. That it is made from an adult perspective with the teen angst in there, uh-huh. but it's quality, all of it. Every scene, there were things that I was just like, wow, that's really good. And some movies stand the test of time, like American World, like The yeah, Exorcist. You hope. The Exorcist for me, I yeah. can sit down and watch it now, it's still as creepy, it's still fascinating. Jaws, it's one of those I can watch a hundred million e. times. even, you know, there, there are films that stand up, then there are films where you pick them up again all these years later and go why did I even like that movie? because <laughs> yes. it's not good at all so um, yeah that's what we're going to review next week uh, recommendations for this week I went with I had to go on a Terry Gilliam tip and, and th- this is weird because this came together this is a weird link together yeah I didn't intend it so my first one is Time Bandits it's possibly my favourite Terry Gilliam film awesome it really is good and it's a cool adventure it, it, I, I would recommend it for kids now like I mean it's just a cool oh, adventure yeah. you know in fact I'd like to see it again it's along the lines of like a Harry, like the Harry Potters Goonies. of today or the Goonies and things like that but it's just a straight up adventure um, so with yeah with some big statements as well yeah social statements so time bandits um, 
and the other movie, and this is just based on... I was watching 12 Monkeys, and there was a portion of the movie where Bruce Willis was wearing a disguise. <laughs> and he looked like Bruce Willis out of the movie Bandits, which is Time Bandits, Bandits. Uh-huh. He looked just like the guy in Bandit, because he had that right. weird moustache and that crazy hair. And this is a movie where he starred in in the early 2000s, I guess, with Billy Bob Thornton. And yep. it's kind of a heisty kind of con money Criminals, kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. It's I really like it a lot because I like both of them two together. I think they're really good. Um just so happens that Time Bandits and Bandits. <laughs> and I, I wrote it down and I went, Hold on a second. Wow. That's a good link. And it wasn't nothing to do with that. That just, amazed you, did it? Well it was just the wig and the mustache I was <laughs> I, I looked it up. Oh it was called Bandits. There you go. That's cute. Oh, that's cute. Mr. A. Scully. My recommendations are, because this is dealing with the idea of what's mentally ill and what isn't, and what do we as a society consider mentally ill and what isn't, and one flew over the cuckoo's, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, as I like to say. Can I say it? Yeah. We'll do the English version. <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Cuckoo. The cuckoo. The cuckoo's nest. Now, I have to say that's wrong, because it's an American movie made by American people. It is cuckoo. Cuckoo. <laughs> And I spell it C-O-O-C-O-O. Yeah, you do. Which is inaccurate, but... Or incorrect, but whatever. And the other one... That's an awesome movie. It's absolutely yes. a thought-provoking, really quality... Good. And it's gritty, also available on Blu-ray, interestingly enough. Gets in, your, gets in your mind forevermore. Big life statement kind of movie. I loved it. Um, also Donnie Darko, because of the... The fatalist thing, where everything is what it is because we're all on this track and everything's going to happen because it's all just laid out there before us. Now, Donnie Darko's one where I wasn't incredibly in love with it like everybody seemed to be at the time. I get the feeling I might... Yeah, I'd like to see it again. a bit better now, like... But I just know that that was the idea that... I know I kind of It doesn't matter what you do, the end result in life is always the same, so it's like fate is... is the rules the world. And a giant white rabbit. And a giant white rabbit. And uh, the other one is because of the idea, the same thing. That it's Terminator, the original Terminator, and the idea of Terminator. That, you know, the fe- effectively what you try to do, no matter what you do, the end result is always going to be the same. And it's a bit, it's kind of like a zombie movie. You're, it's hopeless, life is hopeless, and there's always, the end is always what it is, which is death. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not. I love that. And I'm not pleasant, <laughs> no. No, I find it completely freeing and uplifting. I like these stories because it, it says it like it is, you know? So, on that, on that uplifting note, if you want to go and win something, go to aschoolie.com. <laughs> We've got a contest up there. Um, games and aschoolie stuff. I've been playing this week, uh, mainly, Guitar Hero 5. Now, I think I'll probably finish. I'm going to finish it tonight. Um, awesome. I've been playing it all week. I I pretty much hate it. <laughs> oh my god. That's the first time I think you've ever said that about I mean, I, I, I like the actual physical playing the guitar. Um, it also contains drums, vocals, and bass. But I generally favor guitar because I actually like... I, I'm, I think I'm fairly good at the guitar on Guitar Hero. Um, it's not like playing a real guitar. No, no, no. But I can do the physical pressing the buttons and strumming the thing. Anyway... I would say 20% of the songs in this track listing I like and know. 80% I 
I haven't got a damn clue what they are. And playing songs that you haven't got a damn clue what they are, it is not fun. Cause and you don't become fond of it? You haven't become, like, go, oh, that's a pretty good song. There's a few tracks where I've gone, oh, I kind of liked that one. But I don't remember what they were. Right. You know, it's not like I would go and buy them tomorrow or anything. Right. Um, you know, and yes, they put big stars like Johnny Cash in there. No matter, I'm not a Johnny Cash fan, so... I know that appeals to some people, but for me, even if it's Johnny Cash's, it's um, Ring of Fire. It doesn't do anything for me. I'm not. It's, it, it should have done. I've been everywhere. That's a good one. To have it's to not say. very guitar either. Is that's? I think that's what I'm trying to say. There's very little guitar, so it's quite boring to play it. But then, on the other hand, one of my favorite bands, Bush, you know, from the grunge era, and Nirvana are also in there. But Bush. I've never seen them in a guitar hero game and it's one of their better songs. You know, I'm all over that. And then Kiss came and I really like Kiss. But then for for every Kiss and Bush, there's like some weird hard metal, you know, that death metal mm-hmm. where it's all... I just can't. And you have to play it because what they've done over the last couple of guitar heroes is um, to actually finish the game and get the achievement, you have to have played all eight, 80 songs. So you literally... There can be a tier of five songs where it's loud guitar metal that you hate. <laughs> that you, you hate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what I'm saying is it's like, yep. you know, if you don't like that kind of music, you have to play five of them in a row, and it's like... Like if you had to play Pussycat Dolls five songs in a row. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't stray that Your far. Your head might but, explode. You know, it, I feel that... I know this week's game, which will be Rock Band Beatles, which is out on, on Wednesday that concentrates on the Beatles so you either like it or you don't you buy it or you don't right but these like the Guitar Hero games where they try to cater to everybody I feel that that might have finished like the next Guitar Hero games Guitar Hero Van Halen I have no interest in it because I'm not a Van Halen fan now when the Aerosmith one came out I said to you well I don't really like Aerosmith but I'm interested to try it I tried it and I realised I kind of like three songs that Aerosmith did. The rest of them, I can take them or leave them. You know, so it's so it's a real interesting tap into the whole guitar hero slash rock band game theory of people who'd be interested in playing. That it's not about the playing of the songs; it's about the songs, about the nostalgia. It's about if the it's songs. old songs, it's about the familiarity. If it's a song you love and your interaction as you're listening to your MP3s or the radio or whatever it is, watching music videos, that certain songs tap into your mind and into your life mm-hmm. in a way that makes you want to play them. Now, listening to a random song... Doesn't... Right, unless you become attached to it somehow. Because there's all these random songs to me. Like like songs that, you know, some of them say 2009 songs, and they're just like... they kind of like the stuff you hear on MTV to me. Like mm-hmm. a... It almost sounds generic. I know it isn't, but it's today's music. I don't particularly listen to it, so it to me it feels like a lot of stuff I'm not into. And then Under Pressure comes on by Queen and David Bowie. I could relate to that song. I've heard it a million times. I love the song, you know. So that makes So it makes you think like what you know, how why we value certain uh, music and not others. And one of the funniest things I read this week on a forum, this is a great one, was somebody put I don't really like this Guitar Hero 5. And have you heard that song Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen? Wow, what a rip-off of Vanilla Ice. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, it wasn't being funny. It was a younger dude, obviously. He'd never heard the... Wow. 
Yeah, and I was like, huh. We are old, because that makes you sound like you want to shake your finger in his I mean, face and say, young old. man, you're what the hell are you talking about? You're fairly old if you knew what the vanilla ice one was, to be honest, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, 25 years. So we're ancient, because we know both. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I don't know if Under Pressure came out in our lifetime. Was it 70s? No, it was in our lifetime. It was late 70s. 70s. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's Guitar Hero 5. Um, <laughs> a nice wrap-up. I, I did say I hate it. I hate it. I don't hate it because I like the actual formula of Guitar Hero. I just feel that the music all the best time. songs, and I, and I know there's millions of songs to choose from, but I feel like they the well is running dry on the songs that everybody is familiar with. Of a certain age. Yeah. You know, because when they're making a game like this, are they making it for 20-somethings or are they making it for 40-somethings? What are they making it for? Or are they making it for both and then... This happens. There's also your 20-something playing the same game as me saying, I hate all those old songs from the 70s that keep coming up because I don't know any of them. Yeah. They're only... You know, are they trying to appeal to both? or And should they just say, here's Guitar Hero Classic Rock and here's Guitar Hero... Or just narrowed down to $10 installments of here's Britney Spears and here's Bush and here's Oasis. Or should there never be a new Guitar Hero game and they just have a thing with songs that you buy songs when you want them, you know, for a dollar each. Like, keep releasing them. You use the same disc. Oh, like as downloadable content. You use the same disc forever and you just buy the songs you want as they come up. Is that the way to carry on? That'd be awesome. I think so too. But, because charging you the $60 every, what... It's getting ridiculous. Three yeah. times a year now, I think, for Guitar Hero. Which is crazy. You know, it's going to come to an end, isn't it? And then Rock Band Beatles this week. Uh, I will have it on Wednesday and I'll tell you what that's about next week. You are a, you are a new Beatles fan. Not a fan of, like, obsessive or anything, but you've revisited it and gone like, wow, that is pretty good and there is a lot of it I like. Whereas before you'd say, I think in a sort of no offense, pretentious way, like, because you're British and everyone assumes you would like it, you're, you're always like, I don't like the Beatles. Kind of. No, I don't like the Beatles. But now you're like, wait a but minute. But then when I've, I've got all the albums <laughs> How recently... How can you not like Eleanor Rigby? Yeah, I got all their albums recently and just revisited. And, because um, obviously I've heard every Beatles song. I mean, <laughs> there isn't... There are a few where I'm like, oh, I don't think I know that one. Lesser known ones. But in the majority, I know them all. Because, I mean, they just stuck in you, aren't they, from growing up. And now, being older, it's a thing, isn't it? You can appreciate yes, certain things more. entirely. Like 12 Monkeys when I was 20. I would have probably said to you, I don't know what that. that's all about and I'm not into it. Same as, you yeah. know, some types of music. So yeah, I think it's just a getting older thing. Anyway, more games this week will be Dirt 2, which is actually in Europe called Colin McRae's Dirt 2. Now, Colin McRae's the famous rally driver who died tragically last year. This is a is series of that was games. 2007. Now, while this is Dirt 2, um, Colin McRae games have been going for over 10 years. This is just like a... It was like a reimagining of his game. It since, used to be called Colin McRae Rally. tragically died. Yeah. They kind of re... Now, I've played the demo, and it is absolutely incredibly... You saw it, and mm-hmm. you said to me, oh, it looks like a good game. Like, because it looks like a real... I mean, it's very cool graphics. It's my kind of game. I am... More excited about that than Rob and Beatles, to be honest. So, that's what's happening this week. And there's also a demo called Wet on the uh, 360 Marketplace, which is uh, Elijah Dushku from 
Dollhouse. She does the voice of this character, and it it's kind of like Kill Bill meets Grindhouse. It's got the crappy, grainy filter oh, okay. all over it. It's got the Kill Bill kind of sensibility, a cool, hot chick with a samurai sword defeating this organisation. Okay. A revenge thing. I'm with there's, you so far. There's this mode where she gets... <laughs> Where she kills somebody with a samurai sword and blood goes in a fa- her face gets completely covered with blood, and she goes into this like blood rage where the entire game goes red and white, just everything. It looks really it's it's a cool looking game. It's um straight up action, cool mm-hmm. chick, sword, guns, kind of trashy. It's looks like cool. Blood rain. Yes, yeah, uh, a bit better than that. But you can uh, get the demo and see what it's like. It gives you like three levels of it. It was pretty. Enough for me to say, oh, I want to play that one. It seems good. And lastly, controversial note, Gladiator, <laughs> Sapphire series, Paramount, Blu-rays, and Braveheart. We would we would have reviewed them this weekend, but we didn't... Get them. No. Because they've disappeared from the plan. They... Like, there's no announcement now to put Gladiator out on Blu-ray anymore or anything? No, let's put it this way. They're in, you go to Best Buy today, they'll be on your shelf. You can pick pick them both up. Um, but for some reason, the press... Websites and Websites, reviewers, press. Podcasts. We are not reviewing them. Now, this is very odd because, like, I always, you know, get Paramount stuff two weeks before the street date and then we'll review them as we do in the past week's. But these ones just didn't turn up. There was a bit of... The controversy I mentioned last week was they were kind of lacking in picture quality. Oh, Gladiator. At least Gladiator. Some people said. Um, And then I I got wind of that and I was thinking, well, that's interesting because we'll be getting that in a couple of days. It'll be an interesting one to review. If it is poor, we'll we'll mention it. Um, But then it didn't arrive and then I asked the person who sends it me, uh, will we be getting that? And he kept telling me, He's a, he's a middleman in between Paramount and us. He's a PR agency. He kept saying, I don't know anything, Paramount haven't told me anything. And then I left it for another week, and then I asked again, and he said, if I knew anything, I'd tell you. So I fired a letter off to the lady at Paramount and didn't receive a reply, so... Fired off? Do you mean to ask nicely? No, sent off an email. Right. Um, I didn't get a reply to that one, so... I'm not 100% sure what the official line is. There's a few online reviews, but what from what I'm gathering, the people who went out and bought the disc mm-hmm. themselves and then just reviewed it. So, Gladiator, one of my favourite movies. We could just I, go get it. We we can go and get it, and I probably will get it eventually. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, as far as us getting a copy for a review, we can't comment because we didn't get one. And we would have loved to cover it because it was. Yeah, even but just, see, people are going to be thinking like, "Oh, so you're just too lazy or cheap to go buy it?" <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> like what you're I'm... not going to review it because they didn't give it to you. That's what it sounds. No, like. if I bought it myself, <laughs> I would review it. But now there's a little doubt in my mind that it isn't the best thing, and it costs oh, yeah, thirty-five dollars. Yeah. yeah. I might not go and get it. You know. Because they haven't. Nobody's firmly said it's a really good copy. I, no, I print. see that it's not a good copy online. A lot of. I mean, not a good transfer, not right, a right. copy, but yeah. <laughs> it's not... Well, that's what a transfer is, let's be honest, it's a copy. A lot of the people are saying it's very similar to the DVD, doesn't seem to be worth X amount of dollars extra mm. to 
have a bet, supposedly better version. And these, let's, let's be honest, these are probably not average, normal talking people. These are probably really particular. AV enthusiasts. Right. Picky, probably. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like average, normal people like me going. Now, if things change and I do end up getting a copy, we will review it. Um, or if I buy a copy myself, we will review it. But uh, as it stands now, I know it's been scheduled for two weeks. It's been took off the schedule list because because it isn't. I'm isn't a little it? tired of the topic, to be honest. So I just want to watch it and. That's well, it. I wanted to clear it up for the uh, um, <laughs> the Sid, viewing audience. Sit up for the readers. Yeah, uh, I just said readers, listeners. Um, <laughs> for what, what for me, what's for dinner? We're going to have some corn chicken sandwiches, which is corn chicken. What are they called? Patty sandwiches and a salad. We had, didn't we have that yesterday? No, we had a salad with the pat, chicken patty on the side. Chicken meaning uh, not chicken. Fake chicken. Yeah, um, and it's, an, really awesome. it's another awesome... <laughs> but you know what? You know, when we've had these before, we have the chicken nuggets by Quan, which are not chicken nuggets. We've said this before. Anyway, yeah. just, we won't Meat substitute. Meat substitute. These ones, in particular, the chicken sandwich. Patty. Those are the most like meat out of any of them. It's absolutely. It's there's, awesome. there's no way. I mean, you it's could a pressed chicken. Yeah, like that. But I don't think I could give it to. I think ninety nine percent of people would say, oh, "Absolutely, it's just the McDonald's they, chicken." Exactly. If you put it on a sandwich, which we're going to do tonight, put a little lettuce and salad. I don't know how anybody can tell the difference, and it's amazing because it's not meat. It tastes really good. I mean, it's probably worse for you than me. <laughs> <laughs> well. I guess we'll find out in 20 years after we've been eating it for 20 years. It turned into a mushroom. But it was also, there's also, yeah, there's also a result that in my Hy-Vee store, my grocery shop, we have this little health section stuffed over in the corner, and the girl's always over there. There's one girl who's in charge of the whole health food section, and she's always very friendly. She's like, hi, can I help you? Are you finding everything okay? And I'm always like, yeah, yeah. And then one day I said, well, to be honest, you've got these few products where this company, is there any way to get more? Because in England, they have tons of them. She's like, oh, let me get my book. Like, she was excited that anyone was actually, like, interested right. in, like, she came over and she goes, oh, yeah, these are really popular with our vegetarian, with my vegetarians and my vegans. She, like, like she's taken ownership like of, posse. yeah, the health food section people. Now, she kept going, I'm not into health food or anything. I'm not a vegetarian or anything like that. But I think I should try these things, and these are pretty good, you know. And uh, we went through a book, and she had these, which she had never ordered before. She ordered them. There were, like, 12 of them when I bought some. And then when I was looking the next day, there was, like, two. So, obviously, people, people are trying. people that stuff, yeah. yeah. So, I'll be interested to try other stuff, too. But that's what's for dinner. Salad. I'm, I'm really freaking hot. So, salad sounds really refreshing right now. Um, one little thing that... That was putting something in motion, right? Mentioned to a grocery store about a product. Just mentioned it to her. She went ahead and got it. I sent a note to the Chipotle restaurant chain because I got a burrito there a couple weeks ago I was at work and it's right up around the corner and it was really shitty like it tasted awful it was boring and not fresh and not hot and just nasty and so I decided I'm going on their website and I'm sending them a letter and of course which, I was thinking which no people should do oh of course yeah. I described it I wasn't being nasty I described the time of day how I was waited on which they were very friendly but a little bit it was like an hour before they closed. There was one other customer in the whole place. Or two customers, but they were together. Five staff members behind the counter and in the kitchen. And yet, my food turned out to be really like it had sat there for... Now, I did order it online, which was awesome. And I work five minutes from there. So I ordered, got my car, drove there, and they were still putting my order together. So, 
the ordering online was really cool because they send you a little confirmation and you know you can pick and choose what you want and but and the cool thing was because I'm so close by the time I got there I saw him taking my burrito out of the thing and putting it in the bag but it was gross right. I mean it was just nothing and so I wrote this big long nice friendly thing described everything and that I had asked three or four people at work about the place and everyone was like, mm, it's not very good, and it's worse than Chili's, which is, like, not a good no. thing. But I thought, well, you know, maybe they just don't like this type of food or something. I totally agree. And then, of course, I got a reply, thanking me for my feedback. And it was a dude, and he replied to everything I'd mentioned. Um, had never got any feedback from our area, blah, blah, blah. And he's <laughs> the funny part was, he's going to send me a coupon for a free burrito. And I was like, mm. don't really want So one. I wrote back, and I was like, I'm... I said, I'm not, what I, I started with that thing, like, I'm not being rude or I'm not being funny or whatever. Sorry but if I was it. complaining about the food, I'm really sorry, but I don't want a coupon because I won't be going back. Give it to someone who you know. <laughs> so, like, I mean, I'm not trying to what be What did hateful. he say to that? I haven't got it. That was just, like, day before he yesterday. He was like, F you, lady. Right before the year. <laughs> 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 I tried to give these people free food. You probably so, get 300 cu- coupons in the mail because he's like, have the coupons. Yeah, I don't want. I I want to give it another chance, but the point is, sometimes you can say things that do do something and, you know, get some feedback. They might not have changed anything, but it might make that guy go, hmm, what's going on with this Jeff City store? Because not getting... It's not right, yeah. Yeah, I heard some really not good feedback. And then another thing about impacting someone, in a way, um, I went to this physical therapy lady, you know, so she can tell me about my hip. And I'm not like a physical therapy patient, so don't get that. It's just trying to figure out how to do some stretches and exercise to get rid of my, what do you call it, new arthritis pain and whatever. But I had told her earlier, the first visit, I had stopped drinking caffeine, stopped drinking soda, blah, blah, blah. I mean, stopped drinking soda and coffee. I still drink tea every day. And she was like, oh, I can never stop drinking soda, ever. I just couldn't, never. I am addicted to Diet Coke. I drink it all day long. I went back three weeks later, three and a half weeks later, and she, she was pushing on my backbone. Like, I'm on my, on my stomach laying there, and she's pushing, and all of a sudden her little face comes down next to my face. She goes, oh, I have to tell you, I've, I'm stopping drinking caffeine because of what you said. I thought if she can do it, I can do it. Now, it's only every other day, but I'm trying really hard. You know, I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, that's a... You never know, because I had told her about the positive impact of it, and that I haven't really missed it at this point. It took a long time, months and months. Well, and I, I quit, and I can tell you, caffeine, you withdraw badly. We still drink tea every day. Yeah, it's not it's as much soda. caffeine as you used to have in your It's head. the soda that you're hooked to, man. When I still eat a burrito or some Indian food, I think in my mind I want some sparkly sweet something, and so I've just, we, I get Perrier every once in a while, or some other sparkling water, or just drink water, and... But that's my thing. And I wrote a little article thing on my website about uh, my theory on dieting, if you'd like to be interested. Sidtalk.com. C-I-D-T-A-L-K. So um, thank you for listening to the show. I will uh, sign out now. I'm so hot. I'm going to die. It's quite warm today. (laughs) Yes. Not sure why. I'm sweating. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Um, We've got our websites, ascully.com, sidtalk.com, where you can read that diet article you just mentioned. (laughs) Is it the top? one the yeah. first page um it, it is at this date but it won't might not be tomorrow um oh it probably will i'm pretty lazy <laughs> you, can, you can go to twitter.com slash a scully or slash sid talk to read our twitter feeds or, or follow us on twitter you can do the same on facebook i'm on xbox live a scully a scully live on it on xbox live you can 
get this podcast from uh, the Zoom Marketplace, the iTunes Music Store, and just go to the aschoolie.com page, click on the word podcast, and listen to uh, them in our little flash player. You have to have flash, but Works really most well. people do. Um, oh, on a little side note there, we had our um, cable modem speed bumped this week for... Bumped up. Up. Yeah, so like we've got double the upload speed and almost double the download speed for no extra cost, which is something that never happens. No? I mean, uh, I got media, an email saying... Mediacom is our company who suck, yeah, and so... Yeah, really, they're not, they're not great. Um, they've been better recently, yes, I must say. I have to admit. Yeah. In the last year, they've been a lot better. Um, but yeah, we have broadband, and you know, if speeds mean anything to you, they, they moved it from 7 megabits a second to... 12. 12. It actually comes in at 13 when I do a speed measurement, so they're a little bit off, but it might make a difference with these... Well, it will make a difference with the posting of this podcast, because uploading podcasts takes me about an hour generally, so I'm hoping it takes half the time. This be a good test. Yeah, so... And when we got... We buy games on Steam, and that one was really fast today. Instant, almost, yeah. right? I mean, it's crazy um, that the internet's got to keep moving forward. I saw um, GPD from Cheap Ass Gamer post his speed test this week on Twitter. Did you see that one? No. His is like 20 times the speed of ours. He's but in that's, Japan. That's what Japan's... They have fiber or whatever, and it's like insane. It's like... And he pays less than we do. So maybe maybe America will eventually get to that. Just think, Japan's this big. Huh? America's like this big. Yep. It's a lot more fiber. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's just like... I mean, there is, you can get fiber internet here. Yeah. Well, not here, but like California has Fios, which is fiber costs a lot of money at the moment, but you do get them kind of speeds, but our speed's kind of cool. And That's good, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want a free bump up in speed for nothing? It inspires me to do more YouTube videos. Like yeah, that kind stuff, of thing because is that always uh, It's actually a discouragement to me, because I'm like, fuck, i got to wait an hour and a half. Three hours, it, it takes. Yeah, to it look. did. We uploaded a 720p one the yeah. other day. It took three hours. If it's, that, ten, if it's ten minutes long, it takes a long time. No, it, you know, it might only be an hour and a half, or an hour even... But still, you know, three hours is crazy. Um, and that must be why they're upping it for people, because people are doing more uploading of videos and downloading of videos. Yeah. Streaming all of your media. Yeah, and going on Xbox Live and watching a movie. Watching and... Hulu instead of television. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that's where you can get the podcast. Uh, you can also email feedback to me at com. Um, Broken record. And just me. Only me. <laughs> And nothing but me. Never um, me. Never, 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 never. I don't want to say... Uh, Unless you want to send high praise to me. Then I'll take it. Yeah, but... And they, you can also go to my site, read my stuff, and leave comments. Um, oh, follow her on Twitter, and then send direct messages of your... <laughs> yeah, please do. Yep. Please do. There's plenty of ways. Anyway, um, I want to say <laughs> stay classy, um, Terry Gilliam, and I'd be interested to see what Terry Gilliam does next, to be honest. I mean, mm-hmm. he hasn't done anything for a while. Doesn't need to if he's getting checks more bigger than ours. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably all right. But, you know. I always it, think of that. Like, why do big, famous, humongously famous people still think on. they need to keep doing stuff? I uh, understand to be famous, but come on. I also said I haven't seen David Lynch for a while, but then I investigated, and he, he's actually a musician now. Hmm. He, he's made a couple of albums recently. Avant-garde, I believe. You should buy some and try it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. It, 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 yeah. I, I, All right, then. And I'm going to say, think for yourselves, everyone. Because trust me, trust me, you're probably not thinking for yourself. Even if you think you are, somebody else is doing it for you. <laughs>